Y'all know what time it is. This is the part where we, we crank it up. Let's crank it up. Now here we go. People listening, what's up? If you hear me, stand up and say what's up. What's up? 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 You can sub with this, or you can sub with YouTube. Soup makes me tweet now. This is where it's at. What's up? 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 And nobody else talk like I talk. Got nobody else host like I host. Can't nobody else produce this shit I'll be quacker, I'll be hosting this show Johnny B is a legendary paddle Here to talk about my boy Artrezzi Gary Gary, he likes to party Truth be told, he'll be kicking the fraternity But hold up, let me load up This is my brother, Alan McClucas He's a big dog, you best believe that He can party all night longer over there is that the best middle producer in the podcast world. Doing so many jobs for Capo, you bet as well just call him the Goharder. Hell yeah. 44, you know the score. A number this bad likes to ignore. Scott with his game to fade and be the biggest quiz genius in the podcast game. But hold up, last but not least, is the gangster David Hockney. With a gangster cap on his dole Reaching the fourth base This is the home run Over there, what's up? What's up? If you hear me And say what's up What's up? 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 Oh, that's tremendous Suplex retweet universe Make some noise What's up? What's up? Yeah, so in case you have been Somehow missing in action or whatever. I am Quacker and I am hosting this special show that has been long term in the making because we have to do a series of protests and whatever have you. We got it here. It's our truth show. In case you didn't catch it with my really bad rapping, I am joined here by Gary Gary. Yes, you know it. Alan McLucas, Daniel Campbell, Scott McLeod, and David Hockney. What's up, guys? How you doing? You didn't have to protest. You asked me if you could have it on the schedule, I said yes, and it went on the schedule. <laughs> I, okay, I was just trying to get everyone welled up for it. Is that way when I asked for it, I was like, yeah, I can have an archer show. I was like, yeah, I was like, I was expecting more of a fight back. So I was angry at that, so I just decided to go on this Twitter rampage and just be angry at nothing. Because <laughs> isn't that what Twitter is all about, isn't it? Aye. All the time. Now the bastards have approved it. Let's get on with the show. (laughs) (laughs) So, folks, we're going to be talking about our truth. We're going to go back to these early, early days. Now, for me, the first time I ever saw our truth was when he did break into WWE. Now, he did come in as K-Quick initially, but before then, he was actually in developmental WWE, something that he has actually talked about in his WWE 24 documentary. I'm guessing we've some of us have seen it, whatever have you. He did spend time in jail. He was scouted by somebody who was doing camera work for WCW, whatever have you, and he got ended up getting a uh, work in the independent circuits. Then he ended up getting a WWE contract worked developmental he actually got into developmental in 1999 can you believe that so 
It was 2000 he made his debut with Road Dog. Who remembers that time? Guys, talk to me. David, go for it. Yeah, I remember. It was uh, He was put into a, a tag team with Road Dog to start him off. And I think from the, the documentary interview that he had on his, uh, his 24 uh, interview, it was that I think what Road Dog said to him was, uh, if you create us a, a custom entrance song, I'll pay for all this, the studio time that we use. And that's how they ended up with that that really wicked theme song when they came out as a tag team. So that was, I think that was a really good way to kick him off. But unfortunately, when obviously Road Dog got fired the year after, uh, K-Quick was sort of left left hanging a bit. And that's what led to his, uh, sort of led to the, the rug being sort of pulled out from under him. So they came off, uh, they came out swinging, but it was only short-lived. Gary, what do you remember from that? That well, I, I have to say, I'm I'm very disappointed that you missed in this open goal. Surely I'm not the only person that remembers the segment where R Truth K Quick debuted because it was quite a bizarre one. Raw Dogs in a match with William Regal, and who was the referee? Quacker. None other than <laughs> we're gonna have ourselves a tag team match. <laughs> so they're, having a, they're having this match. And uh, William Regal's got the upper hand on it, but he's not he's not cheating uh, or anything at this point. And our, uh, K Quicks, you know, some music plays, he comes running down the ring, attacks Regal, gets him to squat, gets Road Dog disqualified, and then they have a wee sing song afterwards. It, for me, it felt like a really bizarre way to introduce him. A uh, really bizarre way to, to introduce him. Um, and that's my sort of memory of him, sort of appearing and this was you know back in an era when you know folk would not come into much fanfare um, and there wasn't a great deal of thought into some of these aspects and um, you know you touched on his time in developmental overall it wasn't that long that he was there down in Memphis was it uh, Mm -hmm. about 18 months or so that his time was there so you know relatively quickly I think he's found himself in the main roster and actually goes on to have a I think a sort of decent spot with Road Dog up until that point where Dave touched on, where Road Dog gets fired and that leads him on to a different patch. But that sort of first bit I thought was kind of, I would term, classify it as decent. No, you're absolutely spot on. Daniel, do you, do you remember his time back at that time when he broke into WWE, obviously, with what Gary and Dave were talking about? Do you remember much about that time? Well, unfortunately, that was before. I started to watch WWE. Mm-hmm. My first exposure was when he showed up in a, a certain other place. Oh, hmm, oh, yeah, very mysterious there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not like we all know where it was, but you know, we'll build some suspense until we get to we'll, that bit. We'll build some suspense till then. Scott, what about yourself? But I think I was first introduced to our truth for his second WWE run because I think when I started watching, he and Rodo went a tag team. And, when he wasn't teaming with Road Dog, he wasn't really seen on TV, so I had no idea he was there. I knew about his time in the place that Daniel mentioned, uh, teased. And then his second WWE run, but I had no idea he had a, a WWE run in like the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because you think about it, he's technically a member of DX, because like, he's teaming with Road Dog, who's what I need a new partner. And there's a, ta- a four on four elimination match in Road Dog, the one Billy Gun in China. Uh, 2000 against the Radicals and it's billed as DX versus the Radicals so in a weird way K-Quick or Artrith was a part of the other of DX for a brief moment and I think he got like the height of his time and then was like he got two hardcore title runs that were playing on it and it's a shame they don't know what we know now about how Artrith couldn't handle a title with 24-7 rules <laughs> David you actually wanted to come back in there yeah I'm um... 
It, well, one thing that really caught my attention about uh, K Quick was that you know, he only had like a few years wrestling under his wing because uh, his early aspirations were to actually just become a rapper. And obviously he ended up spending the time in jail because of, you know, he was dealing with drugs and stuff. And that's what fueled uh, his, um, his, his aspirations to be a rapper. But it was actually Jack Crockett that actually got him involved in the wrestling. And they went to a WCW show. And then they said, you see what he's, I think it was like when Ric Flair was walking out at a WCW show, Crockett was like that to him. Listen, you could be like that as well. But instead of walking down to this glorious theme song, you could have, you could come down the ramp whilst rapping. And I think the, he was uh, given a bit of an extra boost to the fact that K-Quick was so athletic in the ring. You know, he was doing uh, backflips, he was doing splits, uh, and the guy could move like like nobody's business. So the character was there, the athleticism was there. He just needed a bit of fine tuning. So it was really good to see him, you know, get a bit of a nod from a, an NWA veteran just to say, look, this is something you could do. And he just took the ball and ran with it. Now, Alan, a subject that is quite passionate about music we know that you love your music and stuff to see a wrestler coming in with such a musical background like what how was it for you with the whole presentation of k-quick and stuff gee i never really got to see him much uh, when he first broke through because mm. my mum wouldn't get sky because she believed you had to change her phone number and she wouldn't change her phone number so i only got to shocking. see like that's i know shocking, baby. shocker isn't he? That's, only... <laughs> that's a call to child line right there because you missed out k-quick four times and they never came back to me but <laughs> I only got to see the odd pay-per-view because somebody would tape it and then they'd be passing the school so my first exposure to him was the match Scott briefly mentioned the Survivor Series match of DX versus Radicals so but based on his return from like 2008 to 2019 now I love it because like to me I, I, I love all forms of music but because the, the guitar is my passion if a guitar is a main part of a song, you've got my interest. It doesn't matter what style it is. It kind of feels like sometimes if there's no guitar, it's not music. But artists, music, forget the rapping part, but the actual lyrics and the changes. Musically, I love it. The guitar's very strong, very focal at the focal point of it. It's got a really nice melody. It's got a really good backing to it. You know, and it's just really clever. And it's a simple 4-4. Four, four. On just like that, you can you know, dun, 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 dun. like you can just go like that to it, and it's just brilliant. And you know, you get excited when you hear that because, like, part of the thing I love about wrestling is the music and the entrance. Because, yeah, you can have a lot of crap matches in wrestling, but the entrances sometimes can be better than the matches. And Artruth never fails to deliver in his entrances, and I, I think his music's brilliant. And plus, with him freestyle and rapping, every time he comes out, it's something different. You never know where you're going to get, so it's a bit of excitement to it as well. No, exactly. I mean, you, you guys are saying that maybe you, some of you didn't see K-Quick for whatever reason. I Part of me wishes I was in that camp, and I will explain later why I, wa- I wish I was, but for me, seeing K-Quick, it was just so refreshing to see a guy coming down rapping, dancing and stuff. Like, I know, like, DX, Road Dog dances, Oyun, um, he does his thing and stuff, but is it really rapid? It's just hyping up a, it, it's not just it is hyping up a crowd, it's, it worked its thing, but this mm-hmm. was like hyping up the crowd with rap and dancing and stuff and then his spin around with the splits and stuff, it's just so iconic for me, so yeah, I mean, we did briefly touched there that the fact that Road Dog was released. K-Quick did actually get a brief singles run, but he really did fall under the radar during the whole Alliance time. So you do eventually see that, well, he did get Future Endeavoured before it was Future Endeavoured. So he got his release and then 
he ended up stopping up at TNA where let's be honest, he had a he had a very very drug and quite a few titles under his belt one that we do have to mention is the fact that he was the NWA the world's champion two times no less and such a monumental thing to be the first african-american as well to win that belt so a huge 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 momentous and still to this day the only african-american to win that belt such an iconic belt guys what what who wants to come in what do you remember of that those moments i think we uh i briefly mentioned it on the uh, the impact show we did before so i'll briefly I mean, bring it again that it's weird because like it took that long for there to be a first like a black man to hold the NWT and like it's not just that it was the first recognised one because I'm pretty sure uh, there have been like several black wrestlers who had held the belt in the time of like like various territories and the idea of like switching a belt just so the crowd didn't kick off when someone like a Ric Flair or whoever like retained the belt so they do like a, a title change but wasn't really <coughs> so the fans didn't bloody tear the building down when like the champion retained. But like he's the first one properly recognised as the champion, and even though it's only two months into NWA TNA's run, it was still such a big moment. And I think it's a shame that the second run doesn't get talked about because I think he blew the belt in his first one to Jeff Jarrett, who basically played like the mid two thousand Triple H role in that company of always having the belt all the time. But I think it shows a lot of uh, faith that they had in him, and also the development of him becoming Ron the Truth Killings and having some. Uh, Going to showcase his promo still and some very saying what he clearly believed at that time. Gary, would you like think, to come in? Yeah, I would, Dad. I thought he'd done, I, I think he'd done a tremendous job at transitioning and positioning himself in this new light because he was a lower mid card member of the roster in WWF and he's, after the road dog got fired, really done nothing of note um, and hadn't really been seen in the spotlight or held any position. So this was his proper first singles run, proper spotlight. He repositioned his character, made it, you know, this serious, angry edge to it, you know, with the heel turn uh, that that followed as well. I thought he'd done a tremendous job at just reinvigorating the character and I remember being quite excited about him at the time and I wasn't particularly all that excited or impressed by by Kay Quick. So I thought he'd done a tremendous job here, really tremendous job. Unfortunately, um, I don't think his title reigns were particularly long certainly the second title reign I think was only about three three weeks long so I, I, but credit where, credit where credit's due and I think that's a theme quacker that we're probably going to come back to time and time again when we talk about our truth this evening David you were also had a point on this yeah so what really caught my attention about R-Truth and TNA was the first sort of major promo that he cut on the, I think it was the July 17th pay-per-view, I forget what its name was, but he basically cut this really impassioned promo about how he was being held back because of his race and that, you know, he was airing a lot of grievances about how he couldn't make the cut in WWE or WWE was holding him back. And that's where I think the, the character of the truth first came out because he referred to himself as the truth and that's where his full character name in TNA became Ron the Truth Killings whereas in WWE just got shortened to R-Truth and if we're talking about his NWA world title run I think it's the the significance of it is what makes it so memorable because not only was he the first African-American to hold that championship like he defeated Ken Shamrock as well like someone who had a a big showing in the the Attitude Era at the time and he's He'd also defended the title against guys like Monty Brown, who went on to become Marcus Corvon in ECW, uh, Low Key, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and even Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. So it was a 
he had a really, really good run as champion, you know, defending against a lot of credible <laughs> challengers. So there was that promo where he referred to himself as the truth. I think that's what really got uh, gave him a foothold in TNA. That was a spoiler alert for what he became when he changed companies, eh? <laughs> so what you actually said there, David, is, is actually something that is so poignant and even still to this day. There was a recent episode, I think it was Talking Smack, where Biggie was talking about the opportunities that he's not had. Mm-hmm. And you could tell what he was trying to say, and then it was like the Miz was saying, Yeah, well, I've not had the, that opportunity yet. And it's like, Yes, mm-hmm. true, but mm-hmm. in this context, yeah. like, it was kind of. Yeah. It was kind of like when, you know, Kofi was pursuing the WWE Championship yeah. as well. Like, there was some reference to, to race as well on that front. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, if we go back to our Viscera Christmas special, which was brilliantly done by Gary Ross, King Mabel, you had to wait so many years for the next African-American and Booker T to be the next King of the Ring after King Mabel, which is a long, t- long, long, long time. Mm. Because Mabel was 94, right? And Booker was 95, sorry. And Booker was 2006, so it's a (laughs) full 11 years later. Yeah. Big, big statements that we're still having the conversations on about, so Mm. yeah. Excuse us if we sound like we're harping the same drum, but oh well, it is what it is. Now, he did obviously rekindle his um, previous relationship with Road Dog. I should rephrase that because it sounds like they were married and separated and married again. <laughs> um, so where they were, he was a two-time NWA champion with Jesse James himself. So obviously rekindling. Does anyone remember much about his run as tag team champion? Daniel, talk to me. Well, uh, just before we go on to his run with Road Dog when he came in as BG James, mm-hmm. we also need to briefly mention the time that they turned him back. He was originally, he was healed when he started. Mm-hmm. Heel when he became champion. Turned babyface after losing. Then they turned him heel again and they brought in a bodyguard. Gary, who is the bodyguard? It was a gentleman by the name of Nelson Knight, better known as King Mabel, or better known as Viscera. And you can hear us touching this on our Christmas special, which is in the back catalogue as well. But could you imagine Gary, we we fantasy a few book- weeks let it go, you <laughs> I'm still coming to terms with it, Quacker, but we did do a wee bit of fantasy booking on the show. Could you imagine if our truth had a bodyguard now and how much fun they could have to have a bodyguard oh. uh, of the the likes of, of Viscera? to protect him in the 24-7 title, that would be gold. Mm. It would be certainly a different aspect compared to Carmella, who was his last bodyguard. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be giving this bodyguard a piggyback, I can tell you that. <laughs> Truth versus AJ, so you've got bloody big Mabel on one side and bloody almost on the other side to fight of the bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, to your earlier point, Quacko, on Fleet 3 live crew, I need to put my teeth in when I say that. Um, <laughs> Conan, Road Dog, and Artruth, it's a quite a, an interesting trio, but it feels a bit random. I don't have great memories of it, but I do remember them defending the title under the three bird rule, and at the time, because of the sort of this, you know, TNA was building a pretty good roster at this time and they had, you know, were able to have quite a lot of six-man matches with people like Team Canada and so on. Mm-hmm. So that was quite interesting. And then we had, uh, I think one of the boys touched on it already, we had the appearance here of, of Billy Gunn coming into TNA and him sort of trying to lure Road Dog away and causing three life crew to become two life crew. 
and it just felt like that sort of petered out and it's just interesting he's running TNA because I think some really great stuff at the start and then sort of just started to dwindle out and TNA were always guilty of for your focusing on their shiny new toys, aren't they? See, on that actually, Gary, when you talk about it, that is ingenious using a... See, because you know in wrestling, betrayals always happen, or additions always happen. It's so genius to name your your tag team after a number at the start so that you can constantly change it according to what happens. I mean, soon you'll be like 3.14159 just because you got pied or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, that was a crap joke. I shall move on. That was uh, a really bad joke. It was really bad, but oh well. I, I need to redeem myself after that shoddy rapping. But yeah, folks, so he has his NWA World Heavyweight title, the TNA World Tag, uh, tag Team, and he also has the Normal TNA, so NWA and TNA World Tag Team Championship. So he does establish himself like quite well as a main carder, but as well as with his um, with like his crews, his free life crew and his tag team. Something I do want to say to end on his TNA run. Now, when I put out a post saying that no matter what happens, I am going to do this show, even though it's been approved, I'm still angry. Chris Murray did actually say, yes, this match was understandably pish, but you can really see the significance in the moment Truth face. He's stunned, plus the call from Mike Tenney. This was like 20 years ago, and I remember it like yesterday. Also, since Truth doesn't age, he looks like this was yesterday. He was obviously talking about when he won the NWA World Heavyweight title and top it the significance of that. So that was nice wee thing to end on on his NWA run. We're going to move on to when he returned to WWE. He did return to WWE in 2008. Now, I did say I wish I didn't know who K-Quick was, was because at that time I was still taking in wrestling like a proper 100% mark and I was just like, oh, our truth this new guy, I'll, I quite like the look of this guy, not knowing obviously it's K-Quick, but I will. We start to see vignettes coming through for, uh, for him appearing on WWE who remembers that who wants to talk about that yeah it was um he was sort of cutting promos about him you know going around his neighborhood uh and you know he was posing by you know graffiti work of his own name and stuff it was um I wasn't really sure what to make of it at first because I didn't know if he was going to be portrayed as a face or a heel character. But at the time, I was leaning more towards, okay, this I'll, t I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and I'll say he seems more like a face character at this point. And then out he comes, you know, on stage rapping his theme song. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy can really energize a crowd here. Like, he wasn't just coming down the ramp as well. He pulled a... He pulled a Sandman, he pulled a shield, and he actually came out through the crowd uh, from his first uh, few appearances. And I thought, you know what? This guy's, you know, he's catching a lot of attention here. I hope he's actually gets booked really well. I mean, I had no idea because at, at the time, I only watched wrestling from about 2004 onwards. So I would have also missed, you know, at the time when he was K-Quick. But I mean, the least that they could have done, you know, was acknowledge that, you know, that Truth has been in WWE before and that he's a former hardcore champion but i mean why did they just disregard his, his history before is i'm not i'm not really sure god dave you're cynical you've seen those promos and you thought there was a chance of him being a heel they were like ultimate baby face I'm just talking about redemption and what he'd learned and i mean you could you could get redemption through nefarious means you know we've seen it you know kevin owens claims he 
Eve, you know, fights for his family and stuff, but does it with nefarious means. I can understand why they didn't acknowledge the K-Quick character, because we're now in 2008, aren't we? And K-Quick was on the main roster from 2000 to early 2001, so he had a relatively short run in the roster. So you've got like a seven-year gap there. It's a chance to start over again, and I'm I would question if there was huge amounts of people that actually remembered anything that he had done and achieved and do you really want to draw attention to somebody that actually didn't achieve a great deal? Now Alan, you were saying that this was kind of a moment where you start to see the R-Truth and R-Truth now. We can now say R-Truth now, we don't need to because clearly WWE wanted us to forget until I just mentioned it there, but I will. This was the time you start to see the Archer of character. Like, what were your first thoughts when you first saw this character? Remember the Rappin's period? See, first, I never really thought he'd come up to us. I thought, this is a gimmick. WWE goes stale with a gimmick really quick, and you'll maybe get six months of the guy, and you're obscure. And to the extent that has happened, maybe not as quickly as that, but when he first sort of came onto the scene, and then you know, his first proper big feud uh, was with the current WWE champion, Drew McIntyre. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a really good one. And he put on he put on good matches, he got some really good moves as well. And see from an aesthetic point of view, my man always likes his champions rip, right? Look at the way Arthur's body is, he's ripped. Yeah. He's, got the, he's got the physique, he's got the charisma, he's got the personality. Looking at it, Arthur, it still horrifies me as not being world champion in WWE and that's all he needs and he's a grand slam he needs oh, it so I'm hoping that point for later because I'm going to ask you a, lot, a straight up question so save that point for later on right no worries but I didn't think this would be a long term thing when I first seen him and to think 11 years 11 12 years later he's still going strong and he's had these massive gaps but he still comes back he's a bit like Bray Wyatt he's a bit like the Undertaker he knows how <laughs> to regenerate and change and evolve with the time and he was he, he's an absolute genius when it comes to this business he really is and i never really seen it then i'm glad i see it now and he's just absolute class he's the highlight of wwe for most weeks to be honest yep. he's that good yep absolutely now scott you're at the point there about his early return well early start shall i say our truth wwe what do you remember from that back. After a brief break, I came back in like 2009, so Archer was already a sub, so I didn't see those vignettes <coughs> until I watched the uh, the W24 documentary, and it, it makes sense given what he talks about at the start of the documentary, about his upbringing that and bringing that kind of into his new character. I do think I mentioned about not remembering the like, I don't think many people were that bothered, I think there were been a lot of new, newer fans who probably didn't quit, but I think Matt Stryker, like once, referred to K-Quig in a throwaway line, I think during the match with Nexus. Mm-hmm. And that was the only mention. I think a lot of people would think that he was. Like, who the hell's Key Quick? A lot of people probably wouldn't have known who, <laughs> what he was talking about. And going to what Alan said about the idea of uh, um, well, it being a throwaway gimmick when you get on first glance, I just think it's fair to say because when you look back at 2008, 2009, across like WWE's ECW brand and SmackDown, they debuted a lot of new people and quite a few of them went away quite quickly, you know. Does anybody remember Kizardi? No. Nobody does. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I own SmackDown. He was on Velocity for a bit as well, but then, you know, we sort of blink and you miss him. I can outdo you guys. Who remembers Hade Fanson? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you win, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, like a guy they brought in seemingly to work with Undertaker and then disappeared the week after. <laughs> guys, can you stop bringing up these really obscure wrestlers? We can't do a Christmas special every year. Come on. Well, the next couple are taken, so we've got the Mountain 2021. <laughs> 
somebody else in 2022. I, I think that's is it Aston Booger? Aston Booger, that's it, yeah. Right, so 2023 is what you need to put the, your, your pitches in for. It'll be the next Netflix mystery oh. documentary. I'll rather vote mm. for Pat McAfee 2021. Oh, get out. He's good. He's going to win the NXT. Well, he's sorry, at the time of recording, he's going to win the NXT Awards, but I'm going to say now he's won the NXT Awards. Sorry, <laughs> McAfee 2021. That's, that's a campaign you can get behind. McAfee 2021. Let's do it. 74 million people voted for Trump. <laughs> I've been nearly 80 million voted for Biden. <laughs> well, let's be pretty grateful for that. Um, Quack, I think you, you, the guy's touching some really interesting points there. Because when I was looking back on this and remembering his 2008 to 2011 run in WWE, because I think there's a, a whole separate period where things really crank up a level for him. I think this level up until you know that SummerSlam match when he was part of the Team WWE versus the Nexus, I think a lot of this is quite forgettable. Mm. Um, you know, he returns as a face. You know, he was always there. I don't think he ever really, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think the company ever got behind him, which is amazing because as that guy said earlier on, he can talk. He looks amazing. I mean, he, at the time we're recording this, it's <coughs> coming up for his 49th birthday. And look at the physique in that man and the athleticism. So he could talk, he's got the look, and he rarely gets injured from what I can tell as well. So you know, he's always been there, but there's just something about him, even in this run, in this period I'm talking about, he, you know, he wins the United States Championship over the Miz, only holds it for three weeks. I just, I think this period when he comes back is, is quite forgettable. Well, see, on that note, I'm going to come to you, Daniel, on that note. Like, mm-hmm. with what Gary was saying there, we're all here because we love our truth. But should we take a moment to reflect? Why could it be that the man didn't get, like, he did get his WWE title opportunities and stuff, mm-hmm. but would it be argued that it was taken fairly seriously, especially in the way. Although he was a number one contender, he kind of got buried by the champion as well, which wasn't really, really good. Daniel, like, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I remember the first time he got a crack at a championship. He got, he actually qualified for the World Heavyweight title match Elimination Chamber in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that unfortunately is overshadowed by The Undertaker nearly being killed by his pyro. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Don't laugh at that hotly, you evil man. Um, so, Iron Man's never been seen again. Yes, I wonder why. So, you fast forward to the next year, and Truth goes through this wonderful heel turn. Now, let us not forget, it started in a place which I cannot give an opinion on, a little bit down the road from us, called London. So, he not only attacks the living bejesus out of John Morrison, who he was teaming with at the time, but he proceeds to light a cigarette in the arena. <laughs> he clearly wasn't aware about the, the the smoking ban in the UK. He wasn't, and he nearly got done for that. Um, yeah. So we then get this period of time where he's... Oh, how do we describe this? Well, see, on that note, I just remember the chance that's illegal. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's illegal. <laughs> um, that, that, and he's just sat there just what are these people chatting I don't know um, it's the perfect advert for I don't give a fuck <laughs> yes exactly it was in this heel turn that he, he, he acted very weird he basically 
even even a brilliant part of it was just that he said that his theme changed to just him saying the truth will set you free and no music afterwards he that, was yeah. that was genius yeah mm-hmm. he would walk out you could see him mumbling to himself he kind of had a little psychotic snap almost and then it builds up to when he comes out it was the june 6th raw that uh, that year in 2011 and he makes his way out, dressed in a Confederate soldier uniform, apologising for his actions to John Cena the previous week, and singing a song about Little Jimmy. So this was the night we get Little Jimmy for the first time. But the problem was, I think in portraying our tooth too immediately, it took away from the fact that he was actually going for the world title. I think if they maybe took him a bit more seriously on that, you could actually buy the idea that he was a viable threat to Cena. Whereas in this... It just didn't work the way I think they hoped for it. And unfortunately, it didn't really pick up even from there. Well, see, on that, David, I think you had a point about like his world title opportunities and mm. like the way his career was going. Like, What was your point on that? Well, it wasn't necessarily just about his world title matches and mm. stuff, but I think it was more to do with any big match he was involved in. You know, he almost felt like a place filler because he was such a captivating character. Because I think his role sort of on SmackDown between like 2009 and 2010, it was like lighthearted comic relief uh, to get through the mid-card, but at the same time to put over a new heel superstar, you know, help, you know, guys like Drew McIntyre and, you know, say Dolph Ziggler in the eyes of, in the eyes of fans as top heels. Because he did have spots on both bragging rights teams the, the year that short-lived pay-per-view lasted. Uh, but you wouldn't remember, you know, he was a part of it. He was, he was just sort of plopped in there. But he did win the, the bragging rights match, the first one, when he was on Team SmackDown. And as, you know, the guy said, you know, he was in the Elimination Chamber too. But unless you hadn't brought it up, I probably would have forgotten about it. So he was very much definitely, a, I think, a place filler for a lot of big matches because he was popular. But... I think it kind of took away from the fact that because it was a multi-person match, it didn't have too much focus on him as an individual. Like even, you know, with the heel turn and challenging John Cena for the title, he was overshadowed by basically an invisible child in Little Jimmy. Oh, Little Jimmy, Little Jimmy. I could talk all day about Little Jimmy, but there wasn't really much to say. Scott, you had a point on that. Yeah, I think I agree with uh, Darren that he was, you know, he was there and make up the numbers all the time. He was an extra body against Nexus at SummerSlam, he's next to boy in the chamber. I'm pretty sure he and Punk started in the chamber one year and Nortrup was eliminated before the next entrant came out, which goes to show like, I think how he was viewed at that point. And then the, the heel turn happened, which was quite shocking. And then made sense it was against Morrison because they were teaming on and off for a while. But they even got a title shot against like Miz and Big Show one time. But like I always remember at the time feeling bad for Arthur because like Morrison challenged them to put his number one contendership on the line and then beat him for it. And Morrison's maybe the good guy. I'm like, that's kind of a dick move on your part, Morrison. But... <laughs> was he also a pro at NXT as well? Yeah, uh, with uh, the future Fandango. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to get a, a match for the Tag Team Championships as well, but that never happened. That was a heel. I don't think they went as far as they could with the like, Little Jimmy aspect of it, because like, yeah. he mentions in the documentary, W24, that the idea of him doing bad things, but Little Jimmy told me to do it. Okay, the responsibility of him, and he originally invented, brought Bill Jimmy as an embodiment of like all the fans. He was maybe played to like the fans that he always like hold the microphone to, which is a WhatsApp and how that wasn't getting him anywhere. And he had a solid heel run. I thought he like, beat Rey Mysterio on pay per view, and then he did the thing with Cena. And I think that's where you could have mentioned Keith with the idea of like I've been around for so long, and look at the amount of opportunities I've got compared to how much opportunities John Cena's got, and more about how John Cena's merchandise is everywhere, and that iconic bit where he 
he's going across the merch stand and he goes, even Zack Ryder's got a t-shirt. <laughs> but yeah, no, just John Cena as his childhood hero. Now, on that note, we have mentioned Lil Jimmy, <laughs> which was just the most bizarre thing going. I'm going to ask you all, what, what were your thoughts when you first heard about it? So, well, you didn't see anything, but you know what I mean. What were your first thoughts with whole Lil Jimmy? Alan, I'm going to come to you first. I love Lil Jimmy. <laughs> I thought it was just amazing. Like, I've seen these before we started recording. You could put a two-hour movie with his best bits. Three quarters were probably with Little Jimmy. And like, my favourite one I'm always saying, that's how I laughed. You know? I watched it the day that I actually felt like I was laughing. My wife looked at me like I was stupid and the dog kept running in thinking I was having a heart attack. <laughs> uh, Arthur was in the ring with Wade Barrett. And he said, I spoke Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy said, you're going to win the Royal Rumble. And he's got and he's at Disneyland and he's sitting there and there's Pinocchio. And he said, yeah, but And then he said, I did it Pinocchio as well. And Pinocchio said, you're going to win. And then the next thing, and now it's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Lou Jimmy, it wasn't me. I was away. I loved that. Um, I just loved the fact that it's a very childish thing. It really appealed to kids. Like, um, my nephew was three or four at the time and, I, and he watched me and his uncle his other uncle watching WWE and, he, and one day we're sitting there watching and my aunt walks in his gran and he slaps my cousin and my cousin's disabled right and she's like what are you doing he goes little Jimmy told me <laughs> <laughs> she goes who's little Jimmy and I'm like right wrestling half you're not watching that anymore move <laughs> so, so but I loved the little Jimmy thing I thought it was brilliant I think they actually ended it at the right time as well it wasn't it was it was getting to that point it was starting to get a wee bit stale mm-hmm. but it was a good cover especially when he went heel as well with the whole little Jimmy told me to do it's something psychotic about it as well you know like the horror movies when they say they'd like the exorcist the devil's telling me to do sort of thing so it had a sinister that was a bit very sinister about it as well at the same time um, mm-hmm. I thought it was perfectly done Hail Freaky Wan face I tremendous really yeah. good work from him Daniel <laughs> you're, you're very much again uh, I was there. have you got more time yeah that? The, I just remember the it, it was even great because Sometimes Archer had the right people to play off of just doing the whole Little Jimmy thing. And one of the best, for as much as people could say he buries people in segments, I think Triple H probably gave him one of the best bits with the Little Jimmy thing because Triple H is just like, wait, hang on a second, what was that? No, sorry. No, nah, don't listen to him. Nah, don't do it. No, shut Don't you tell me anything. And then he just, then he just, the best bit is that halfway through he just goes, uh, truth, just quickly, this guy doesn't like how that guy's eyeballing him. <laughs> just a little bit like that just went brilliantly uh because like he the little jimmy stuff brought some hilarity even like there's that rider line that's like scott mentioned but it was when he started to evolve it a bit more and started like breaking away from the little jimmy thing that oh that this is where we start to transition into golden our truth territory not golden truth territory that's something else later on we'll come to that later yeah but Oh, we, we get comedy gold with Archer. I love him to bits. For me, I think I, I love the the heel little Jimmy bit, and I think it moved for me. It moved to comedy too soon, mm. and I, I thought there was more mileage in the heel aspect of it. I think he became a comedy character too soon, and I think we're going to get into the the the, the run that that happened at this point with the. Little Jimmy and the Awesome Truth. 
I'd like to see that side of him for a little bit longer. Well, on that note, we do move on to where he accompanies himself <laughs> with a few characters in WWE, has a few tag team title runs. First of which was with our own Kofi Kingston. I say our own because my brother's called Kofi, so I still hold Kofi dear to me. So yeah, he, he becomes tag team champion with Kofi Kingston. Guys, who remembers the moment? Who remembers the run? Talk to me. Yeah, it was. Um, it almost came of came out of left field a bit because this was after WrestleMania 28. Uh, again, you know, this was another marquee match on the card where he just felt like a another player on the side of Team Teddy, and uh, in a losing effort too. But at the time, it was Primo and Epico, the guys formerly known as the Shining Stars, who were tag team champions at the time. And I think it was that it was them they defeated to win the tag team championships. So um, it, it was almost forgettable, like, you know, given the fallout of WrestleMania and stuff, because, you know, this was obviously WWE's downtime, you know, following the post-Mania slump. But these two were actually tag team champions for quite a good length of time, and they defended against a multitude of teams, including Dolph Ziggler and Jack Swagger, which I think, under Vicky Guerrero's management, probably should have got a bit more of a further push than they did. But that's besides the point. There was also the primetime players of Darren Young and Titus O'Neil, where they defeated them at SummerSlam. You, you almost forget how good a run they actually had. Although, I just don't think they clicked quite as well, you know, as obviously like the New Day did, or as like maybe Morrison and Truth did to a stead. But I think they did quite well as a sort of uh, solid run as tag team champions. No, absolutely, absolutely. It was a good, good wee summary there of what Kofi and Truth brought to the table then. With another tag team that he was part of, obviously, was Awesome Truth. Now, Guys, Scott, talk to me on Awesome Truth. I loved Awesome Truth. Like, I liked the remix that he came up with, with the uh, change it from What's Up to You Suck. <laughs> uh, and I remember like being at my first live event I went to, it was in 2011, during the lead up to Survivor Series. We had Dave 2 coming out, and like Miz, they're yelling at the crowd. Miz is like, Oh, Scotland, you know, your women are ugly and your men wear dresses. <laughs> and our truth was, And there's a bunch of little Jimmies out there. <laughs> and weirdly, the team with Kevin Nash that night, the take on Kofi, Dark Rider, and John Cena, still the weirdest match I think I've ever seen. But the fact that these two main evented Madison Square Garden against Rock and Cena, I think, is still amazing. It's a shame that they kind of felt like they were just put together to be fed to these two for their WrestleMania 28 match. And you know, maybe in hindsight, you could say, oh, you could have had them win to help so dissent because Rock and Cena can't get along. But I think it was always a case of like, the result was never in doubt. They did get like one title like shot against Kofi and Evan Bourne because Kofi seemed to be the guy you threw together with a random partner every now and then. Yeah. But I really You're think they must have been to not have them win the titles even just for a month. I think it was a shame not to have. Well, I'm sort of referring back to Kofi and Truth here, but see if they got a tag team theme much like uh, Airboom Air did. I think that would have you know elevated them in the eyes of a lot of people. But for Awesome Truth, the fact that they were denied a tag team championship reign, I think, was a huge huge missed opportunity because these were the two most talked about guys never mind you know as a tag team you know they were the most talked about guys from the summer of 2011 you know never mind the summer of punk these were the the top heels you were talking about absolutely absolutely that hell in the cell where they interrupted it and you had the melee that followed with them being arrested or surrendering themselves when they were surrounded by the ring with the wwe superstars they surrendered to the the, the, sorry, the police they're getting taken out in handcuffs 
I think Johnny Laronitis is there and Triple H is there. Triple H is losing his shit and he attacks them and fires them the next night in Raw. And I just loved that story. There was a there was a hint of reality. You know, there was a promo that came before that where they cut in Triple H as well. There was just a hint of reality about it and that was that was so good. And they were at that point I thought they were really hot. This is why I was saying earlier on that I thought 2011, 2012 was a good period for these. That was a that was a headline spot and yes, the guys are absolutely right. They were fed to Cena and and Rock. But you know, again, you know, R Truth is another example of him taking the most of what he gets mm-hmm. uh, and really maximizing it. I'm so nice glad you brought up that Hell in a Cell moment because one thing I remember is just how apoplectic Triple H was, how angry he was, really, 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 really sold that. Daniel, do you remember that Hell in a Cell moment of awesome truth? I remember just the, the bit of attention they got them. I mean, unfortunate as it, as it was with what was about to follow for them, because if memory serves me correctly, after that Hell in a Cell match, they got booked into a match with... Actually, this is something I just remembered there. So, after the Hell in a Cell match they interviewed in, shenanigans happen where they get rehired, and they end up getting a win on pay-per-view over CM Punk and Triple H. So, not only did they get a win off of the top babyface of 2011, they also got a win over Triple H, albeit with shenanigans thanks to the world's slowest running and also I still say this is the most awkward jackknife powerbomb I've ever witnessed in my life because if you remember Triple H is landing he looks like he practically folds in on himself very awkward to watch but nonetheless they got a win over Triple H and Punk so big stuff going into Survivor Series, which less said the better. Yeah, also truth, they didn't get the full opportunities that they deserved, in my opinion, but my word, what impact they made. Like, Alan, what was the big thing about also truth for you? They were the two best working mid-carders at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I totally agree with the guys. They were fed to the wolves. But if you look back at that time, you knew you knew whoever faced Rock Cena was losing. There really wasn't anyone else to put with them. They two were the most incredible guys. They knew they would get a 25, 30 minute match with them. They knew they would get the selling right. They knew they would get everything on point. There was no one else to feed them to. And as Gary said, they both took it for the team. You know, they did the best of the situation. And it's a shame they fell flat after that because that should have been a catalyst moment where we were screwed or they come up with some elaborate excuse and they start terrorising people like the way they terrorised in the Hell Cell and they could have made them a dominant tag team for a couple of years they really really could have that, see that Hell in a Cell for me that was opportunity missed see that, you, that Hell in a Cell moment if you're going to give a for opportunity missed that's it there done that Hell in a Cell moment for that 10-15 minutes however, however long it lasted right, it's irrelevant they went from mid-carders to main event players Yep. The two of them. And WWE or, or Vince or whoever it was, it was just like, go see it. And everyone's screaming, book them, put them in the main events of Kingdom Tag Team matches. And then eventually they've heard it too late and they go, I will feed them to the wolves, we'll send them to the Rock Cena, and they're going to get squashed. Right? And you knew it was coming, you didn't matter who it was. I mean, you could have put Stone Cold and Triple H in there to face Rock Cena. You still knew Rock Cena were going to beat them. It didn't matter who it was, but they missed their opportunity with them. And do you know what? They're still kind of in the same position just now. Well, I suppose. Trust more lower my card now because of the 24-7 thing but if they turned around and said they were reforming they to give them a proper run at the tag titles 
because WWE's lighting tag teams, they don't have a great selection. They two could run a good, a proper tag team for a good couple of years. They've got plenty left in the, in the, the fuel tank. Both of them are solid workers. They're very, really injured, as Gary mentioned earlier. They could do loads of stuff for the tag team division in WWE. They would be brilliant. So many good points in there that I won't, for the purpose of time, I will need to move on because he was in an alliances. He had other tag teams and alliances throughout the years and stuff. Something that some people, I mean, who who here remembers, he actually teamed up with Xavier Woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. the two quiz geniuses remember that, obviously they do. Yeah, that's how Xavier Woods was actually introduced to WWE as a whole. You know, he was being pushed as the guy with the PhD and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was it 2014 that happened? Yeah, I remember, I remember because like cool, uh, Xavier always rips into it every now and then on the, the New Day podcast about how underwhelming of a debut it was. And when you realise that anyway, if you're watching long enough and you're watching TNA as well, you realise like, oh, these two were a team in TNA as well, they were truth and consequences. Back when Woods was consequences feeding now, but he's like, here's Xavier Woods, he's our truth spell, he's using Brodus Clay's music. On that note with Xavier Woods, does anyone remember one of the teams that they beat? Uh, was it not um, Rusev and somebody, or was it? Oh no, sorry, it was Tons of Funk. Yeah, Tons of Funk was one. But another one that I was hoping someone would mention was Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. There's a reason why I keep saying Drew McIntyre because it's coming to a big point that I want to make. Now, <laughs> I'm going to move on to next one. The other alliance of note was Golden Truth. I don't know about you guys, but with the Golden Truth, it was more about the promo segments they had backstage. Who would like to talk to me about one of the promos that they saw? And what one stuck out at them? Scott, go for it. Well, I agree with you that uh, it was all about the promos because once they actually started one, uh, teaming together, it was a case of like, they're just here to fill the numbers here as a tag team and feeling like, watch it, like, he's just no wonder Dustin wanted out. But like, the idea of that went on for so long that at first it's tr- it's Dustin trying to like court Truth as a partner, so then he gives up and then Truth wants to court him as a partner and then he gets it's like, the fact that Goldust kept like going, Arthur keeps thinking that Goldust is coming on to him, like, hey man, I don't roll like that, I'm a married man and all that. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that, like, where one of them would go, the other would just show up. It was just so funny the way he was like, I want you to be my tag team partner. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the way he was like trying to say it politely, I don't swing that way. <laughs> 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 yeah. The only way they could have made it more awkward is they played Barry White in the background. <laughs> oh dear. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Golden Truth actually appeared at Raw Glasgow as well, and they were cutting a promo with all the other tag teams because they were meant to compete at Survivor Series, but it was that night as well that they actually lost their places to the Shining Stars. And I don't know what the, the gimmick was in that, but I think it was because either our truth was sold like a, a dodgy timeshare in Puerto Rico or he left his passport in the locker room or whatever. But uh, I think the because the, the legit reason that they had to be dropped was because that year, I think Survivor Series was being held in Toronto. And obviously, because of his criminal record, r not allowed into Canada, so they had to write him off somehow. Well, I've met the man in Canada, so he's got over that now. <laughs> oh, I think maybe, maybe maybe it was still a thing at the time, but it must have passed. Gary, did you sneak him into your hand luggage? Uh, I have, and uh, we're going to come on to them soon. Uh, we have a programme from SummerSlam 2019 with a picture of the fabulous truth in it, signed by both of them. Fantastic, fantastic, because yes. Did he sneak r truth in it? It was little Jimmy sneaked in. Because <laughs> that is a point. <laughs> there is one man here who has actually met our truth. Mm-hmm. So I am slightly hating on him right now. 
Gary, I don't like you right now because I just think you've just met you've met our truth before. <laughs> well, to be fair, Quacko, you know he it was you know some distance away. It's not like you just had to drive along, say the M8 to Glasgow Fort to meet somebody you proclaimed to be your hero in the way that Stephen Wilson refused to do to go and meet Becky Lynch. I bet you he wishes he did that M8 drive now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. on to I'm gonna talk about the next person that he teamed up with but I'm sure you've noticed within the Covid era of us doing podcasting we've not had any breaks whatsoever but however for this show I am going to introduce a break not just any normal break this is time for the seventh second dance break we the rebels everybody want to talk about we stay up all night and cause a riot scream and shout <laughs> <laughs> There, folks. So we're not known for being quick. <laughs> <laughs> if Ross was on here, it'd be a one-second break. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so accurate. The sixty-second man. Yeah. <laughs> Truth got well, Jimmy. Ross has got well, floppy. Anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> we go on to teaming up with Carmela, Fabulous Truth. I mean, you're going to notice a theme here. Truth is always it's always something truth. So now we have Fabulous Truth because Golden wasn't Golden, Awesome wasn't Awesome. Now we've got Fabulous Truth because it is Fabulous. Guys, break it down, Fabulous Truth. Who wants to kick us off? Carmela's the best bodyguard in the business. Summer yeah. Atlantic for absolutely tremendous. I mean, I've watched it again today. My my personal favourite one with Carmella <laughs> was uh, the golf course where Jinder Mahal appears out of nowhere and he's wrestling pants and a ref, pulls him off the car, pins him. Carmella goes and starts shouting at him before he can do anything. He's pinned him, he's won the title back. Carmella's done the buggy. Truth can't even go on the buggy properly, he's getting dragged holding on and you just see his foot lines going across the green <laughs> in the fairway. And Jinder Mahal's just like, oh, what? Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah, it's something that. It shouldn't shouldn't have worked. I mean, it sounds just the most ridiculous thing ever. But it was gold. It was absolutely fantastic. It was so over at one point. Even Vince McMahon was doing the seven second dance break with them as well. That's how over this got. I thought it was just genius. You know, WWE every now and again does something like that. You just think that makes no sense. How does anybody see this? You know, these two being being a pairing, but they were, they were fantastic. Great natural chemistry. Yeah, like Car- Carmella said herself, you know, like Truth's like one of the most entertaining, funny guys she's ever met backstage and they even did like a ride-along episode together. Like you could tell they've got such good chemistry with each other. Daniel. How you doing? Um, <laughs> everyone's giving me less of just like, why does this all of a sudden switch to an episode of Friends? <laughs> I don't know but um, I just remember there was one skit they did and it's during all the 24-7 shenanigans and they decide to dress up in disguise and sit in the audience the only problem is the camera just looks directly at them <laughs> and you just see and you just see like Carmela just like sat there just she's kind of noticed our trip's oblivious he's just sat away just like oh this is great this is great yeah this is fantastic and she's looking just like truth 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 <laughs> and he's like what? And she's like, hide your face, hide your face. Then the jobbers come along. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great things that from this was, remember they won the Mixed Match Challenge? Mm, I think yeah. they beat the, the stellar team of Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox in the final. And Mahalisha. They got, 
they got, <laughs> yes, they got uh, uh, to be number like 30 in the Royal. Sandyford. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them got to be number 30 in the respective Royal Rumbles, but also they got to go on a trip of the, their choice to destination, which I think our truth picked to visit WWE headquarters in Sanford. Uh, Stanford, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Carmela's face when that was revealed. <laughs> she, I don't know about you guys, but she was ready for a tropical holiday. Oh, not yeah. To go, yeah. Not to go down the road to Stanford, Connecticut. We're going to go to a place where there's a lot of people tanning. They're, lo- they're really tanned. They're really they're having fun. WWE headquarters. <laughs> think about, let's think about this. Is like, I think it was really good for Carmel as well as Truth because like she was coming off her SmackDown Women's title reign. Yep. Like, you remember when she lost it at SummerSlam, nobody was talking about it. They were talking about Charlotte being included in the match and then Becky Turner, which led on to her run. Nobody was really talking about Carmel. And then this is at the same time where I think I'd like, I was not a big fan of Truth. I'll follow like that because 2015 2016 Truth wasn't as great as Truth in previous years. And then suddenly it was one of those things like, Jesus, remember, suddenly this realization of remembering just how entertaining Truth can be where every every segment he was in was gold, like we mentioned on the Nakamura show where he says the truth uh, to Nakamura, I'm going to get a US table shot the same way everybody else gets a table shot around here, by pinning Carmella. That was amazing. Yeah, I still remember that promo. That was, that was probably the best thing about like what got the, the program going. Truth is like, endlessly, like effortlessly entertaining. You can always tell she's trying not to laugh. And she fails horribly half the time. The time where they're both pretending to be cameramen during like an iconic interview, just so nobody, because he's trying to keep in disguise from the twenty-four-seven title. Can she, I loved the shit where he's just working with Ty Dillinger and he's trying to find Carmella because she's been rude to him. And he's like, she's right there, and he goes, "Excuse me, ma'am, have you seen Carmella?" And he's just like, "I am Carmella." And he's like, "You're not Carmella." Arguing with her, like she's not Carmella, and then he's then ties up. What's the point? I he goes, Because I'm going to get you to the main event, we'll smack down live, and just storm this <laughs> off. And you're just like, What the fuck? Do you know, I just realized we haven't actually mentioned yet? How can we, how can we go at our truth show and not mention when he interrupted Kane, Dolph Ziggler, and Roman Reigns, proclaiming that he was going to win the Money in the Bank ladder match, only for Kane to just go, You're not even in the match. Sure. Yeah, um, positive. The only thing that tops that is the 2016 Royal Rumble, where he comes yes. out as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Nice. He, pulls the, he pulls the ladder from under the ring, sets it up, climbs, the money in the bank briefcase is in there, and then he gets eliminated about 30 seconds later. I love it. See, when you look back at that, everyone in the ring breaks character. They're all pissing themselves laughing. They all break character, Jim. <laughs> Well, see, on that, I was going to have a moment at the end where we talk about our favourite moments, but seeing as we're touching on it, why don't we just go for it right now? Gary, talk to me. What would, like, of all the moments of skits of our what would be, what, what what one would be the comfort one that you could just watch over and over again on YouTube or something? I mean, there's so many of them that have already been mentioned, but to pick something different, the segment with Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman when he was going to take them, want to go to Sioux Falls City. <laughs> uh, there's the best one is, um, I think, I, I'm pretty sure it's the same segment that was from earlier this year. And he's just like, I'm going to win the Royal Rumble and I'm going to do it by throwing you over the top rope. 
Paul Heyman. <laughs> <laughs> and Brock's just losing it. And the best bit is, what, like, later on you find out, Lesnar was trying to come up with stuff for them to do. Like, yeah. he was just like, I want to work more with this guy. Give me more with our truth. It's funny you two are saying that, so... Alan Laurie also agreed with you guys on that. He says breaking Brock Lesnar has to be up yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Brendan Dog also say the same. Stephen Bevington also agrees. He says the promo in the ring with Brock Lesnar before this year's Royal Rumble. Sorry, I should say last year's Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, <laughs> spoiler alert for when we're recording was what a laugh could watch for hours and hours. So yes, absolutely fantastic there. Daniel, I'm gonna come to you now. Oh, this it's it's actually a, it's more a daft one for me because Truth had obviously all these funny moments and just promos, and it's hard to pinpoint ones that are brilliant. But I'm actually gonna go to one of his 24/7 title skits, which it was. It's just because of where this happened. It is just so stupid. It is so out there yet it's brilliant and it's when he loses the title to Jinder Mahal mm-hmm. on the tarmac before the plane to Saudi Arabia even takes off or was this a, or was this a, for the second one in which case the plane to Redacted was about to take off then on the plane you see Jinder sleeping he's got the title on his lap just sleeping there just Truth sneaks up with a referee crawling on the floor and the aisle between everyone and just goes count the pen referee counts the quietest one two three two champ and Truth just like, yeah, I'm jumping again! Jinder's <laughs> like, what the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> and then he has everyone chase him up the stairs in the jumbo jet and he hides in the toilet. Now, <laughs> uh, Scott, as somebody who has lost a title whilst asleep, how did that make you feel to see that? <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you seeing your nightmare happen and the fact that it was Stevie Wilson? <laughs> Counting the pin on you, like the the that's a nightmare in itself. <laughs> I think the word "violated" is better to describe. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing that you'd been pinned when you woke up, and then having to watch it on YouTube, like a to, days later. I'm gonna say this as as producer of Book It to quote what you said on your episode with Strack. You violated me. You violated me. Oh my god! Such good times. Such good times. David, talk to me. What is? What would be your moment uh, that you can go to to watch? Honestly, it was the aforementioned uh, Royal Rumble spot where he actually brought the ladder out from under the ring, thinking it was a Money in the Bank match, and he just sets up the ladder in the middle of the ring. Lucky everybody else is down. I think Kane is the only one that's left standing. And he just reaches up and there's nothing there. And he's, <laughs> he's just standing at the top of the ladder like a big lemon. He's just like, what? Where's the briefcase gone? <laughs> uh, it was... And our, the funny thing was, R-Truth wasn't... I don't think R-Truth was actually scheduled to be in the Rumble. He just came up to Vince with this crazy idea about getting a ladder involved. And Vince was like, I like it. Go out and do it. And I think that when he came backstage, it was like a high five from Vince. And he's like, yeah, that was genius. Uh, that that clip always gets me. But what... On a separate note, it was... Um, what really always cracked me up in more recent times is his R-Truth game show on the WWE Network like he really brings out a lot of the fun the fun aspects of you know some sometimes quite serious characters like Roman Reigns and Nia Jax and a few others as well but he just makes a quiz show like as random as it is he just makes it so damn entertaining even no I'm not gonna say it (laughs) I was gonna say it's uh, it's just as entertaining as Quiz Showdown you'd be correct (laughs) David what's up what's up 
No wires up, and I will jump. Fell for it, right? See, this is what this stuff like that. You know, it's just yeah. one of the things. It's just like you can't help but laugh at it. Oh no! I just remembered another quick one there. Um, he tried to break Shayna Baszler on Raw Talk. Oh, <laughs> yes, when he was talking about uh, fish or something. Yeah, and you could just see her. She has to like turn away, just like don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. <laughs> He's great on on Raw Talk. He's like he said to AJ Styles when he got drafted over. Uh, I heard you built SmackDown. Can you build me a house? I'm looking at. Imagine it was the house that you built. Like, your contractor like. I didn't literally build. I can't build you a house. <laughs> so can you, can you do me an extension? Can you do? Like... <laughs> now, guys, on that note, like David Campbell also did say the moment when he thought he was in Money in the Bank, he wasn't in Money in the Bank. Also, Ryan Dalglish also agrees with that statement. There, the thing about it for me was the fact that for years he's always had the fear of ladders, and right in the moment where he conquered that fear was the wrong moment. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the way he's at the top of it. Then he looks up and it's like nothing there. And unfortunately gets eliminated straight away by Kane. Yeah. Whoever likes Kane for that? That's so annoying. Anyway, or maybe that's why uh, Scott said 43, because he wanted to forget that elimination. So, uh, we <laughs> moving on. Speaking of Kane, Scott, what is your yeah. moment? I think one that stands out, we were talking about Carmel in the 24 7 title. I think it was the, the SmackDown after the, the 24 7 title had been introduced. Like, he'd won the title at the end of Raw by tricking Bobby Roode and having him hide in the trunk to avoid everybody else and then immediately rolling up when he got out the trunk and then buggered off with the belt. So we come to SmackDown. Carmel's looking for Truth and Truth has got these sunglasses and a big blonde wig on as he's disguised. And then, like, she's like, Truth, you could tell it was me. Yes. Like, you, like, but not the fact that he's got the wig on. He's got. He's still wearing the twenty four seven title. He is clearly. I mean, it's like, how could you tell it was me? As a CEO, we say such good shit. Such good shit. <laughs> Alan, finally for you, what would be your your moment for you? Right, I think the greatest one. I think pretty much all I agreed on is probably the Brock Lesnar one. But I'm going to try and pick one that nobody else has said, and it's when Truth knocks himself out with the WMD. So, so when shows knocked everyone like gold dust, everyone else went right back just standing there <laughs> looking, and then back show goes to pull the buzzer goes wait wait, and shows just looking up and he just goes flat knocks himself out. Show breaks character starts laughing, right back's in the corner laughing, he's out spark, and then you just see going last his eye. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> everyone watching. Like that is just true. I mean, the guy. I know people talk about like Seth Rollins and other players. Oh, professionals like AJ Styles. That is a human highlight view for the comedy aspect. He is that, and he is without question the absolute human highlight view. When he if he retires, go to stand up comedy. He could sell out the hydro ten times over. Honestly, he's so good. I mean, it's just I'm asking for killing me today watching the highlights of all the comedy stuff. Uh, it's just absolute class. The guy's a genius. Absolute genius. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, touching on the other moments that other people have said. So, Tom Brock, friend of the show, said, It has to be the first time he uttered the words, My bad, that one's on me. <laughs> Sean Smith just posted that photo of our truth smoking. So, yeah, that, that, I mean, that was a very poignant moment that we did talk about. He also did point at the moment where he challenged Shinsuke Nakamura and posted the quote, like everyone else does. Pink Carmella, oopsie, <laughs> he said it there and then. Now, folks, for me, I don't know why, but this 
just this moment sticks with me and it has to be when WWE are doing their pay-per-views and they've got their lineup of the foreign commentary team. I just love it because it's based on the enthusiasm from the... <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah, the Indian team. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, oh, and then it comes to that, you're like, oh, they, they got to the end there. And then there's another <laughs> commentary team. I want their <laughs> I can mention his antics with Drake Maverick. Also, the whole Maria Canellas and, and the whole Canellas baby thing, which was just so bizarre. I saw people on Twitter commenting on it like it was some prolonged porno on a cuck or whatever like that. And the what he did with the OBG, why not? At the end, was just absolute genius. So, <laughs> there's so many moments. But, folks, if you're listening in, please do. When you see the tweets going out about our true show, do comment in. Let us know. Let us know the community page. Let us know on Twitter. What was your our truth moment? What, what really, really sticks out? Now, folks, just before we wrap up, I did actually mention earlier on, I was going to ask about something. Now, we did mention that when Truth came back, uh, well, when he, he came back to WWE, uh, first rivalry he had was with Drew McIntyre. He did have a tag team match with Xavier Woods where he beat Jinder Mahal and Drew McIntyre. With what we have talked about, can you see a, a legitimate case for not only Truth to get a WWE Championship opportunity that some point soon this year, could be this year, could be next year, whatever soon, but actually to win it? Alan? Does he deserve it? Absolutely. Well, I get it. No chance. Vince sees him as the gimmick guy, the comic guy. Keeps a mid-card, keeps people tuned in. Sadly, I don't see it. I hope to God I'm wrong. I really do. Guy deserves it. I would love to see him the WWE champion. I mean, can you imagine him as WWE champion acting like the 24-7 rule? Hiding from everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Appearing in those random places. Like, Intercontinental title match comes on. He comes out, he's fighting, he goes, Oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, I just like walks away, comes in, you know, women's tag team match or something. Like, just, I think you could do so many great things with it, and it could go far. But I don't see Vince having the confidence in him to pull it off. I think you know he sees the gimmick thing. I think his age is going to go against him. You know, he's forty nine, just about to turn forty nine. I don't think they're going to see him as a legitimate champion, even though the guy's probably certain ninety five percent of the roster. He's probably technically better than 90% of the roster. And he's without question the most charismatic guy he actually have and the fans love him. No, I don't see it happen. I hope to God I'm wrong and I would love it. I would back him 100%. Even if it's to Drew, I'd be like, Drew, you get in your ass and fall for that boy and get him the title. But no, honestly, I don't see it happening. But I would love to, I'd love for it to happen. Gary, I put this to you now. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with Alan. Does he deserve it? Yes. Will he get it? No. I think you know history's a good judge of that. When he, you know, even when the fabulous truth, when he was, you know, arguably the height of his popularity, he had the US title. He didn't hold it for rock long either. So if he has, if he ever finds himself in a match against Drew, I hope I was. I hope it would be a competitive match rather than a squash match, but there will only be one winner of it, and unfortunately, it won't be it won't be our truth. I think 
he's now probably you know the 24/7 titles his thing just now. I think I, I'd be surprised if we see him hold another WWE Championship, which saddens me to say it. Well, on that note, like he is the only person in WWE that can say he's won 50 titles. <laughs> yes, yes, it is 24/7. It's 45 and counting as we speak now. Mm. However. He has won 50 titles, you can't deny that. Daniel, I now put it to you. What are your thoughts? I'm going to have to go with the general consensus. I would love to see R-Truth being the WWE Champion. He absolutely deserves it 100%. I think, in my opinion, he could do it. Like Whether as a comedy character or if they decide to give him a bit more of a serious kind of, you know, bring him kind of back, kind of bring him back down a wee bit. You know, Gary is just angering Quacker even more right now by showing the picture of him standing next to the man himself but let's just let's just gloss over the the anger that we're feeling right now just in Quacker's expression he's showing more photos he's making it worse good god man we do not want to have a massacre here so <laughs> in terms of what I would love to see from R-Truth I think he could absolutely have instant classics with you name it anyone over that title I mean hell tell me this if R-Truth was champion, would you not tune in to see R-Truth versus AJ Styles main event a pay-per-view for the WWE Championship? Absolutely. That would be a classic match. Exactly. It really would be. They have faced each other before as well on the independence. Mm-hmm. And even in TNA they've crossed paths a couple of times, but the problem is I just don't think they'll pull the trigger on Truth, unfortunately. I would love for them to do it, but I just don't think they will. Truth needs to be a Grand Slam champion. Sorry, mm-hmm. you have to say that. Yeah. Yeah, he does actually, he does. David, mm. I'll put it to you now. I think the the ship has sailed when it comes to a world title run, but I wouldn't rule it. Like in WWE's mind, I think the ship has sailed. But if the opportunity presented itself and our truth did have a, another chance at the WWE title, I wouldn't be against it by any means. Because the guy, you know, he's put in like decades of grinded work to entertain the audience and he is still to this day one of the most popular superstars on the roster you know he might not be the number one guy but my god the guy's a the guy's a vet uh you know he is a but he is a multi-time us and tag team champion i could see an intercontinental title running his reign in his future so maybe that maybe that might sweeten the deal uh for you know maybe not getting a world title match but who's to say he needs a world title to go down as a, as a WWE legend, as a WWE Hall of Famer. Because look, Roddy Piper never won a world title, still regarded as one of the best. And oh, can anybody else- There's no doubt he's gonna be a Hall of Famer, cause mm-hmm. if not, that's some serious, serious BS yeah. on that front. But yeah. He just ticks all the boxes, you know, he, he entertains from an in-ring perspective, he cuts dynamite promos, he's a pretty solid rapper, he, ho- he can host a game show pretty damn well. And the, the guy's a chameleon and not to say he actually looks the same as he did about 20 years ago. Like, he just doesn't age at all. And who can say, you know, they've held the same championship 45 times in WWE. Like, he's turned that championship into... What's the phrase? It's kind of like, you know, you, you become so synonymous with a championship, you sort of gain a cult following from it. You become a, a cult hero as a result of that. And I think that's what Truth's going to be remembered for the most. The fact, you know, he was so adaptable in any situation he's given. And he just goes down as one of the most funny, charismatic and entertaining superstars of all time. Now finally, Scott, give us some hope. Is he going to do it? Well, about Truth, I do agree with, with David on the fact that the idea, like, you'll be a Hall of Famer despite the fact that he'll, uh, he's not won the title. And like, given the fact that we've made this whole show how many highlights and how much we've been laughing, about the memorable stuff that he's done without him even winning the WWE title speaks to the impact he's already had without it. The fact that he's not had a US, a longer US run or an IC title, which I think he should have at some point before he, he hangs it up, 
Uh, I think it's a testament to what Vince likes him. Like Vince likes him, that's why he's been such a constant presence. I think Vince likes him in a certain role, which I don't think he's going to come out of. But I feel like eventually he's going to have to stop it with the 24 7 titles and let somebody else be the focal point of that, if that title's going to be around for much longer. And I would like him to see him as champion because like, I don't know if I want to live in a world where gender gets to reign for six months as champion, but truth does even get a month away. I mean, can you imagine like, the idea of like, the story they were trying to tell? Oh, this guy who's not had a lot of wins recently suddenly wins the title. If they swap Ginger out, put Truth in, and Truth shockingly beats Orton for the title and, has, and goes on a six month reign, how entertaining would that six month stretch be? He wouldn't even have to bring back Great Cali for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, absolutely valid, valid points there. And I wholeheartedly agree with a lot of what you said. However, me, with my absolute love for R-Truth, I'm going to be very optimistic and say he's going to be WWE Champion in 2021. He will be AJ Styles. Watch this space. I've said it here, folks. Now, folks, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. So huge thank you to everyone for listening. Huge thank you to everyone that put in their comments and fought the campaign, the good campaign, to get the show on the run. Thank you guys so, so much. I'd also like to thank my panel for joining me. So, Daniel, thank you for joining us. Anytime, man. David. No worries, man. Scott. Thank you very much. Alan. It's been an absolute pleasure. And last but not least, Gary. You're welcome, little Jimmy. <laughs> so folks make sure you're locked in on Suplex Retweet we've got many many shows coming throughout the whole of 2021 not to be missed also head over to YouTube where you can see all the work that Daniel does with Quiz Showdown Book It Conspiracy Theory all the other gubbins that is coming through in 2021 mm-hmm. it's going to be a huge year for Suplex Retweet we want you along in the journey with it folks I have been the host I am Kwaku and with that, I say, woof, there it is. Hello, I am the GOAT, David Campbell, and I would like to invite you, the listener, to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel. And that show is The Conspiracy Theory, where once a month... I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.